So praise God, we started uh, the first two chapters we are done with. The third became, the first chapter was the introduction. The second and the third chapters were the messages to all the seven churches. And I went through all the churches. The last time we finished up till the message to Philadelphia. And now we come to the last church. That is the church of Laodicea. In this, uh, in this particular city, Laodicea, Jesus is portrayed as standing outside the church. He's not even inside the church. He's portrayed as standing outside the church. And he's knocking on the door and asking the people who are inside to open up, let me come in. Okay, so this church is called as a lukewarm church or the materialistic church. So let us go to the book of Revelations chapter 3 verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation. Each letter he introduces himself in a different way. In every letter he introduces himself in a different way. But in this letter he says, I am the Amen. Now what's the meaning of the word Amen? Amen means the truth. Amen means the truth. So when you say something, you believe it and you say Amen. So when we say a prayer, we end the prayer with a Amen. So whatever went before the Amen meant, yes, whatever you said is the truth. So like it also means verily, verily I say to you, truly, truly I say to you. So it means the same. When he says in different scriptures in the Bible, he says, verily, verily I say to you, truly, truly I say to you, Amen, Amen I say to you. So Amen means the truth or whatever the word is spoken is the end. There is nothing beyond the truth. So who is the truth? Jesus is the Amen. He is the Amen. And he is also the faithful and true witness. He was a true witness to God on earth and he died. So all this is about Jesus and he says the origin of God's creation. The book of, uh, you know, the John says first chapter. What is the first verse? Yes, Sister Fatima. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. So he says he is the he is the origin of God's creation. There was nothing before him. Like everything starts with Jesus. So this is Jesus is introducing himself as the Amen, the faithful witness and the origin of God's creation. Now why he introduces himself in that way is when you will realize what the book, what the people in Laodicea were up to. Every six, uh, you know, the cities that uh, Jesus was speaking to, he always had something good to talk about them. Even about, uh, you know, the uh, city of Pergamum or even the city of Titaria, Titaria where you had, you know, there was fornication and so many evil things. But even to them, he had something good to tell. He recommended them for something good. But in this book of uh, message to Laodicea, you will see there is nothing good he speaks about them. He starts instantly by condemning them. There is nothing recommending that you are good in these things. Okay, you are bad in this and this is how you change. That is how the previous messages were. But where he is writing to the Laodicea, the, you know, the scripture, chapter 3 verse 15 says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So, what do you mean by hot or cold? It is nothing to do with your body temperature. I have running a temperature, so I am very hot. I don't have a temperature. I am near some snow area, and so I am very cold. It is nothing to do with your body temperature. It is to do with your 
spiritual temperament he says that you are neither burning with love for me neither are you totally indifferent to me means you don't desire me so much neither you are totally i don't know who you are jesus not those people who have nothing to do with jesus you are not both the extremes you are somewhere in between so what does he mean to say you are people who sit on a fence those who are sitting on the fence can jump either to the right or to the left either front or back somewhere they can sit most of the christians fall to this category they are christians when they come to church when they sit inside the mass and they are taking the communion and everything is all about christ they are proclaiming that they are christians by their action by coming to church but when they go back to the real life they are far away from being christians they don't at all live like christians yes sister lukewarm christians so this they have nothing of christ in them they neither follow what he says they do not know his word they don't want to learn his word or understand his word and what he says for them you know you have heard about cold coffee hot coffee you like them yeah see in our house i like hot coffee aniket likes i like black coffee he likes milk coffee and nikki likes cold coffee but suppose if you are supposed to give them you know lukewarm coffee what you will do with your mouth you will just spit it out of your mouth because you were expecting the coffee to be hot or even if it's a cold coffee mixed with nice ice it is still tasty but if it's lukewarm you cannot drink it you will spit it out of your mouth and this is the expression that you know the lord is using for the lukewarm christians he says i will spew you out or i will spit you out of the mouth and what do you spit out of the mouth anything which is good and tasty what you will do you will taste and you will chew and you will you know let it mingle the taste in your mouth and you would want to eat some more that's what you like to do but then something you don't like like suppose by mistake you know this um, you know suresh i used to always remember when i said spit out the mouth remember he, once when he had gone to china you know so he was not accustomed the first visit to china he didn't know about the customs of this place so he had gone to a restaurant and they had given some you know some juice a lemonade to drink and uh, you couldn't see the bottom of the lemonade and all you know so he started sipping the lemonade and as the lemonade started uh, you know uh, going down down he saw worms going in and he says i just wanted to go and vomit spit it out of the mouth like you know the moment i say spit i remember that you want to spit it out you see a worm you can't drink you want to vomit it and this is what jesus is illustrating that he wants to spit the lukewarm christians out of his mouth that i have nothing to do with you he says it's better you're totally indifferent to me i can accept that that's also okay with me you don't know anything about me that is also fine with me or if you're burning in love with me i love that but if you are a christian and not living like a christian i rather spit you out i hate you i means the words are so you know he feels like vomiting in the presence of lukewarm christians and this is a sickness that seems to have gripped most of the christians their lukewarmness is something that has gripped we take it for granted that i have been saved and that's why i'll be for for my life i can do anything i can want and at the end just before i'm going to die i'm going to go for confession i'm going to ask forgiveness for my sins and god is going to be straight to heaven you know so that is even worse you are putting the law to the test and now you have lived your life totally denying christ and christ says if you do not repent and do not repent with a good heart then you have to face the judgment amen okay so this is what he says of spitting out of the mouth and then what does he tell to them in verse 17 for you say i am rich i have prospered and i need nothing this was the richest city that i have spoken of till now 
they had the highways they were the millionaires they were the bankers they could have the malls they had money in everything so they were proclaiming the lifestyle was proclaiming that i am rich i have prospered and i need nothing they had the pocket was full of money they did not need anything but what is god tell them he says you do not realize that you are wretched pitiable poor blind and naked he is calling them this five big words you are wretched whom do you call wretched whom do you call wretched you see a poor man on the road you know he is rags and nothing he doesn't seem to possess anything he is lying on the ground doesn't have a house you look at him and you say you wretched poor old man that's what we will call those people as wretched not someone who comes in his luxury car wearing the branded clothes and looking rich and prosperous with gold and you know watches and everything that shows prosperity he's things i am prosperous but god is calling such a person you are wretched you don't know you are wretched you are pitiable people should take pity on you normally we look at poor people and say so sad we feel so sad for them wish somebody could come and help them wish they had a house to live in he says no they are fine but i feel pity looking at you you are pitiable you are poor they were rich in so much money but he calls them you are poor you have nothing you are blind and you are naked he says you may be wearing all your branded clothes and everything but for me you are not wearing even one you know inch of material is in your body you are totally stark naked he says therefore he comes and says god you know is so angry with his people he says all these things but still he does not want these people to be lost he doesn't want to even this lukewarm christians should not be lost so he says come i will give you a solution out of this and for that solution you have to go to verse 18 so he says therefore i counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white robes of cloth you and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see so he is giving them a solution to come out of their wretchedness and the solution is divided into three parts one is he is telling them to buy gold refined by you buy gold from me which is refined by fire and the second is asking them to buy white garments and the last he is saying them to buy eye salve salve means eye ointment the eye ointment so he says you buy this thing three things from me and your life can change now what do you mean by gold refined by fire what do you mean you buy gold from jesus and you will be all right how do you explain this buying gold refined by fire now what do you mean by a refiner's fire gold refined by fire means a refiner's fire the goldsmith what does he do he refines the gold it's not like a you know what a does not mean that if you have a, a forest fire we had some fire in uh, somewhere near coimbatore recently where a lot of people who had got camping they didn't expect the entire place to catch on fire they couldn't escape and almost 33 of them lost their fire the fire can't be contained it just goes like a wild fire because the twigs are dry and it as the fire starts it spreads 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 everywhere it catches a fire right you understand it can't be stopped and then you now you also have incinerators where a lot of people instead of burying them or burning them what they do they put them inside the incinerator what happens in that the body which is a human body in few minutes or something like that it becomes into ashes but that is not the refiner's fire now what do you mean by a refiner's fire refiner's fire is a fire that refines you like what does the goldsmith do he takes the gold and he puts it into the fire 
does the by putting the gold into the fire does the fire the gold completely melt and get destroyed no it doesn't get melt and destroyed what he does is he melts the gold he knows the exact temperature that is required to melt the gold and when it melts the gold it removes the impurities and then he molds that gold into a beautiful ornament or a jewelry the same way god is telling me god is telling that i am going to refine you by fire the fire he means is this fire of the holy spirit always holy spirit is is represented as a fire and he is going to remove the impurities from us what are the impurities from us is going to remove the sin from us you understanding so you have to be refined by fire that is the first thing and the second thing he says you are you are naked he says you are completely naked you may be clothed with all the great things you may be wearing all the luxury garments and branded stuff and all but he says you are completely stark naked in front of me so for that you buy white garment now what do you mean by white garments yes you cover me with your you cover yourself with my righteousness so god is you are now totally unrighteous you are walking in sin your garments are soiled you are ugly you are naked and everything so you buy righteousness from me and you cover yourself with my righteousness when you become righteousness you become like christ and the last he says you buy by salve i salve so what do you mean by i salve is an ointment normally salve is an ointment that you put in your eye so that you know when you get an infection you get a sty or something happens in your eye the doctor usually prescribes you an eye ointment and when you apply the ointment the infection subsides and because of the you know the infection your eyes are swollen up they are red they are inflamed they are watering and you cannot see clearly so practically you become like the infection is too much you become practically blind so now god is saying that maybe you are not practically or physically blind but you are all spiritually totally blind you are not able to see the truth you are a christian you come to church you pray you do all these things but you do not know me so though you are a christian you are doing all these things you are spiritually blind so god says you buy my ointment you apply the ointment in your eyes and when you apply the ointment in your eyes now you can see clearly you will to get to know the truth so this church which was totally living like most of the christians do now god is giving them a three steps of how they can change their life and come back to god by buying gold refined by fire by white garment and buying so you got this okay and then he says verse 19 is a very beautiful verse he says i reprove and discipline those whom i love be earnest therefore and repent this is one line that none of the children like to do right we always tell them when the kids get angry in the house we shout at them sometimes we take the stick and give two whacks at them and they come behind you and they scream and shout and i say see because you are my child and i love you i can do this can i do that to my neighbor's kid they will call me mental or they may call the police station and say there's one mad lady around the house who's beating up the kids right i can't do i don't have any authority to go beat up the unknown people but my own i have the right to discipline i have the right to reprove i can even use a stick to whack them because they are mine and by their mind i love them because i love them i discipline them so if i don't discipline them then i don't care i'm not a good parent many of the parents of this generation do not reprove or discipline their child at all they think the child psychology will get affected the child will grow up you know mixed up in his head or the child this will go wrong i cannot infringe on a child's uh, uh, you know his personal nature so i let him be but that is absolutely wrong 
That means you don't love the child. If you love the child, you will discipline the child. And that is what Jesus is telling you. Though you are lukewarm Christians, I love you. I don't want you to be lost. So I will discipline you. I will put you through that fire. I will put that ointment in your eyes which you don't want to put. I will put that rope of righteousness around you. So God says, I love you. So I will chastise you. And then what he says, the most beautiful you know, scripture of this entire chapter, which, you know, Blossom had beautifully portrayed the last three times. He says, listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. And God is standing, I'm standing and I'm knocking. 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 And he does not stop standing and knocking. Standing and knocking. He does not get tired. It is nowhere written. I am tired. I am sitting and I am knocking. I am sitting and I am knocking. No. He is standing. Is an active position that the Lord takes to say that I want you to open the door. And even if it takes weeks, it takes months, it takes years, I will not give up. I will continue knocking and knocking and knocking till you will open the door for me. And when you open the door for me, he says three things I will do. He says first what he says, I will come in. You open the door, I will come in. And then he says, I will eat with you. And the third thing he says, and you with me. So when he, you know, see, there's times I remember, you know, once me and Suresh had gone for a movie, you know, late night movie some maybe I don't know midnight last show very rarely we do that but we did that one day and my older son he said ma you go and come back I'll be awake I'll open the door for I said no Kana, you go to sleep I'll take the extra key and go no 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 I'm going to be wide awake you you come back I will be there 2 3 o'clock and he's like the owl no most of these guys nowadays are constantly on the computer or reading or something they are wide awake till late in the night and they sleep through the morning get up late morning it's a complete shift in this generation now. So, and he has been up most of the night. So we thought it's okay. He will be up. Like his nature is like that. So are you sure? Are we sure? We asked him three, four times. Yes, ma, don't worry me. I'll be awake. You go and come back. And we go and come back and we don't have the key. And we are standing and we are knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and ringing the bell middle of the night. Somewhere on 132 or something in the night. And then, uh, Anikit is not be found. Mobile. Nobody's picking up the mobile. And then, you know, Getting agitated. Now, how do we go inside the house? We are calling up the landline. Everybody's fast asleep. Everybody houses, you know, pitch silent. No, no noise, nothing coming in. And we stand there. It takes almost 10, 15 minutes of the standing there. And the moment he came and opened the door, he opened the door and then we just barged on him. Do you have any sense? How long does it take you to open the door? I told you we'll take the key and go. And then we didn't have to disturb, you know, how long all the neighbors have to disturb. So we literally, you know, we lost it for some time. After that, we cooled down. Poor fellow, you know, and he was playing that game and he slept off. But just look how, what did Jesus do? He kept knocking and when he opened the door, what did he do? He just walked in. Did he condemn you? Did he shout at you? You know, earthly people are so, we may know the word, but when it actually comes to action, do we behave like Christ? We lose 10-15 minutes of knocking and not replying back. We lost our cool. We were shouting and screaming at our children. I did that. But just imagine this Christ. This Jesus is standing and knocking at your door, not 10-15 minutes. For some people, he's knocking for 70 years of your life. For some people, he's knocking 90 years of your life. He's standing and he is knocking. And he has not given up. And the moment you open the door, he just walks in. 
he is not angry with you he is not condemning you he is not beating you up for what you have done he just simply walks in and then he does a very beautiful thing what does he do he will say i will come into you and eat with you and you with me so what does it mean he is going to come in the table is going to be spread and he is going to sit down he will eat with you and he also says you will eat with me now you take the jesus of the in the bible before there was a parable where a servant is coming and what does the lord tell the servant will a servant eat before the master even the servant is tired servant has gone or done all the work he comes out tired but moment the master comes what does the servant do servant will go wash his master's feet then he will go take him inside change his garments give him a new garment to wear then he will spread the table out for the master master will eat and after the master has finished his meal and done has gone back to rest then will the servant come and eat that is the lord and the master and the slave but here what does jesus say i will come i will sit and i am god so what do we do if suppose god walks into the house what we will do we will serve but will we sit down with the lord we won't sit we will stand and we will serve even people come to your house for a party what does the hostess do she does not take the plate first and eat she goes and serves and everybody keeps telling why don't you eat with us why don't you eat with us why don't you eat with us but it is a nature of serving and after everybody is gone and the work is done then you take your restful place and then you can sit and eat peacefully you eat peacefully but god says no i will sit at the table and eat i will eat with you and you also will sit and eat with me the lord is saying now no longer we are master and slave now we are friends i want to fellowship with you and you will fellowship with me we sit on the table as equal that that bondage of being a master and slave was broken by god are you understanding now he comes in as your friend and that is the promise that the church that god is giving to the church of laodicea and the lukewarm christians for everywhere everywhere in the world lukewarm christians are present in plenty the very few warm christians because if we had warm christians the whole world would have been changed by now yes or no miriam yes if we were warm we were burning with a desire for christ what would we do we would go and shout at the rooftop every person with coming any problem any sickness or anything we will shout and we'll say i know the solution jesus is the solution for your life will we tell or not but we are not telling so we are also in this category of lukewarm christians most of us are most of us i'm not saying everybody is but most of the christians are in this category and god gives this beautiful promise he's knocking he open he will come in he will eat with you and you with him so then he finishes this entire chapter which says to the one who conquers What do you mean by the one who conquers who overcomes conquers means who overcomes i will give you a place with me on my throne i'll give you a place with me so this is the promise is giving them for all the churches he gave them something that he will give them a good thing if you conquer this is what is going to happen to them he is saying i will give you a place with me on my throne and where is jesus' throne right side of god the father just i just as i myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne so let anyone who has an ear listen to what the spirit is saying to the churches so did you understand all this all the messages did you understand so the church of ephesus is called as a loveless church smyrna is called as a persecuted church the church of pergamum is called as a compromising church the church of thyatira was a corrupt church 
The Church of Sardis was a powerless church. The Church of Philadelphia was the best church among all. It's a faithful church. And the last church we read about is Laodicea. That is a lukewarm church. So different churches for that is the message. It's not that we are exactly Laodicean or Ephesians or Smyrna, but we may be having a mix and match of the problems that is going through different parts of these churches. So wherever you feel that it applies to me, we are supposed to take that. We're going to read it. And then what God has given the solution, we are supposed to follow. So we are done with chapter 3 now. And until chapter 3, chapter 1 was the revelation of God. Chapter 2 and 3 was the messages to the seven churches. So these three, these three chapters was what we read in introduction of, uh, you know, the revelation of John chapter 1 verse 19. Now what does it tell him to write? Write what you have seen is the first chapter. What is, is chapter 2 and 3 and what is to take place after this. So this, the entire book of Revelation is into three parts. What you have seen what, what uh, you know, John saw the revealed Christ. That is what he has seen. What, what is, is his message to the seven churches. What is taking place? How the churches are at this point is this. And now the last part, that is the last part of the book of Revelation is, what is to take place after this. So we go to chapter 4, verse 1. The first verse says, after this I looked. So it is a continuation of what God wants us to say. Every word in the Bible is so precious. no? So here it starts with after this. So after the, all this message is over, what John says, I looked. I is John. And there in heaven a door stood open. Till now, John, first he was on the earth. In the earth, in the island of Patmos is where he got the revelation of Christ. He is on, he's on earth and he sees the revealed Christ on earth. And after that, the message to the all the seven places is also message to churches which were physically present on the earth. Now, book three and you know four and five is a completely different realm. Now he is taking us into the heavenly places. Chapter four and five is John is being taken into the heavenly places and his vision or what he sees, what God reveals to him from the heavenly view is what. John is going to write and he writes after this I looked and there in heaven a door stood open a door stood open and this door in heaven is a heavenly door which has been described by everyone who goes up to heaven they see a door wide open there is a gateway to heaven there's a big door that is wide open and when you stand there you can see the door either open or closed and many of the you know the books write about Peter standing at the gate and he gives entry to some and does not give entry to some people so he sees he looks up and he sees a door wide open and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said come up here and I will show you what must take place after this so he's looking up and he sees a Sorry, he's looking up and he hears a voice. He hears a voice and that voice he's calling the first voice. Now where did you read that first voice before? You go back to Revelations chapter 1. Chapter 1 verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying. So this first voice like a trumpet was a voice of? Was a voice of? Jesus. 
See, it is written over here. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. So this loud voice like a trumpet was the sound of Jesus. So same thing he says here. That is the first voice which he heard. The same voice is telling him, like, he is speaking like a trumpet. Means, uh, like a trumpet means not the trumpet, but like a trumpet. Sounding like a trumpet. Some, some people have got shrill voice. You have heard them, no? The voice will be like a, like some of the instruments, like a violin or the pitch will be so. So the voice is like that. Doesn't mean the voice is the trumpet. Voice is like a trumpet. The trumpet usually signifies what? The powerful voice, very powerful voice, very overpowering voice. And this voice told him, come up here. So now he has to go down from earth. He has to go up, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. So now John has to change his position. From earthly position, he has to go up to the heavenly position. He has to shift his position to this place and God is telling you, I will show you what must take place. Now the word must, you need to underline. He didn't say what will take place, what is going to take place. He said what? must take place means what is going to happen nobody on earth can stop it you understanding nobody can stop the end no one has the power to stop the end destruction or the tribulation or the signs or whatever is going to happen nobody can stop it it must happen so he says now whatever you are going to see has to 100% compulsory all that has to take place so then he says to them at once I was in the spirit and there in heaven stood a throne with one seated on the throne at once instantly he was in in the spirit and there in heaven now what do you mean by at once in the spirit I was there it means a state of uh, uh, spirit transference Spirit transference means that, you know, so Enoch walked with God. You know, Enoch walked with God. When he walked with God, he walked with his body, spirit and soul. Everything. He was taken in spirit, soul and body to heaven. It was not that his body was on earth and only his spirit went to heaven. He walked with God. He went away. Elijah also was like that. He was taken away in body, spirit and soul. Completely he went up to heaven. But when you speak about John here in the spirit, it means that his body was here. Practically his body is here on earth. Only spirit has gone up to heaven. And many people have this out of spirit experience. Many people have this, you know, staying here, but they're taken in a journey. They go, go, they're shown the revelation of heaven. They're shown the revelation of hell. They're shown the revelation of what is going to take place or the revelation on earth, what destruction is going to happen. Many prophet, men and women of God are given this gift of going in the spirit. So this is John's body is now on earth, but in spirit he's taken up. And what does he see in the spirit? There is a, there in heaven stood a throne with one seated on the throne. So what do you mean by the word throne? Throne signifies sovereign authority to rule. I mean, there's nothing above that. The topmost that you can give a position to a, uh, to anything on earth. Now you give the topmost position to someone on heaven is that throne. And the person who's sitting on the throne is who? God the Father. The one who is sitting on the throne is God the Father. And he says that this person is sitting on the throne. And in this chapter, in this chapter 4, the word throne comes 14 times. The 14 times in this 
chapter the word throne comes signifying the total supremacy or the sovereignty of god and if you take entire book of new testament how many books are there in the new testament there are 27 books in the new testament so if you remove this book of revelation there are 26 books okay in this 26 books the word throne comes only 14 times but in this chapter the word throne comes itself in this chapter it comes 14 times so this is actually called the throne chapter in the bible this is the throne book of the bible is verse 4 uh, so and there what does he see he is talking about god and there one seated there looks like jasper and cornelian and around the throne is a rainbow that looks like an emerald so he is talking about some precious stones isn't it he is somebody is seated there and what does he tell he say looks like jasper jasper is a precious stone he looks like cornelian that is also another stone and around the throne there is a rainbow and that looks like an emerald so everything he is talking about stones he is not describing the the you know the features or the or the how how god looks like he is not describing he is describing the majesty of god because no one can describe god like when you look up to the face of god it is like looking up into thousand suns one sun we can't see we'll destroy our retina our eyes will get burned so imagine looking up at thousand sun it is impossible there's nobody on earth who can look up at god and can describe his features like suppose you put me on a pedestal and say now you describe dr lena people will give all will give different different descriptions it is easy because you see me and then you can tell okay this is how tall she is this is how and this is how and this is how it is easy to describe any person who is on earth but you cannot physically describe god he is indescribable there is no word in the english or any dictionary that can describe the glory of god and everyone who has portrayed god can not even in 1% match to what he is we will get to know the whole truth only when we go meet him there you understand so nobody can describe him but what john sees is is a radiance light amazing light beautiful light and that light he is describing that particular light is describing and that light how does it describe he describes as precious stones and this four you know three precious stones he describes like jasper cornelian and emerald are just not simply some stones that are put over there these stones have some significance to it so let us go to exodus chapter 28 So in Exodus chapter 28 God is giving specific instructions to Moses on how to make the dress for the Levite how to make what you have to make what you have to put and especially the breastplate of the Levite the breastplate of the Levites he is giving them what and all you are supposed to do so what he has told them to do is on the breastplate of the Levite he has to put in how many stones 12 stones the 12 stones signified the 12 tribes of israel so they have to be put in four rows so in each row there would be three stones you understand three rows in the first three stones in the first three in the second three in the third three into four so three fours are 12 so there are 12 stones which are have to be engraved in that breastplate of the dress that the levite would wear and god also specified which stone you have to put no random stones each stone had a significance okay and in that order if you see the go back to 
Revelation uh, chapter 4 again. The first, what he says is the? Jasper. What does he say? The first is the? Jasper. And if you read Exodus chapter 28, you see, I will just read the four rows of stones. Verse 17, chapter Exodus 28, verse 17. You shall set it in four rows of stones. A row of carnelian, chrysolite and emerald shall be on the first row. And the second row is turquoise, sapphire and a moonstone. And the third row is a jacinth and a guide and amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an oinst and a jasper. So this is the order of the stones. So where do you see jasper? It is the last stone on the last thing. And where do you see cornelian? It is the first stone on the first so what is the last and the first? Who is the last and the first? I am the beginning and the end? God the Father. So to signify that, so he has showed that when he sees God the Father, he is seeing these two stones. He is seeing Jasper and he sees Cornelian. This means that I am the beginning, I am the Alpha, the opening, Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So these two stones he sees there. Next he sees what? He sees a rainbow. Now what do you come to mind when you see a rainbow? The first rainbow was created was when? Noah. So when uh, the world was destroyed and Noah comes, you know, comes back into the safe land and God promises Noah and he makes a covenant with him and says that I will never destroy the earth again with water and he puts in place a rainbow saying whenever I look at the rainbow, I will remember my promise which I made to Noah. So in God's throne, around his throne is the rainbow and the rainbow is reminding God every day the promise that he made to his people that he will never destroy the earth with water. So he is seeing the cornelian, he is seeing the jasper that shows if you say the first and the last means the entire tribes of Israel is placed in God. That means the entire humanity in fact who believe in Jesus are in that two stones. Are you understand? The beginning to the end, everybody is there. The promise is there. Now, what do you mean by the emerald? Now, if you look at the position of emerald in this order, emerald is the first stone in the second line. The first stone in the second line. Now, each of the you know uh, the tribes of uh, you know of Judah, the children of uh, Jacob. Sorry, the uh, children of Jacob. Jacob had how many sons? 12 sons and these 12 sons go on to become the 12 tribes now Jacob's name was later on changed to Israel okay that's how we call the 12 tribes of Israel actually his first name was Jacob and the 12 sons of Israel if you see in the order of 1 to 12 Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph and Benjamin they are the order of all the 12 now if you look at Emerald where does Emerald come? Sorry, it is in the, sorry sister was right. It is in the first row, the third. It is in the first row, the third stone. The third stone on the first row is emerald. Did you find it in your Bible? The first stone was carnelium, chrysolite and emerald. Now if you look down at the order of the sons. The first son was Reuben, second is Simeon and the third was a Levi. The third was a Levi. And what does a Levi signify in the Old Testament? Is a priest is a priest who is to go and stand and do all the work for God and who is the great high priest for us Jesus Jesus is the great high priest if you book a uh, book of Hebrews no the entire chapter is on uh, you know uh, the great high priest 
Uh, the high priest of, yeah, not that also, about Jesus the high priest. It is probably Hebrews chapter 4, I think so. Hebrews 4, huh? I think so, sorry. 5, huh? sister, one second. Jesus, it's four. It's chapter four, verse fourteen. Jesus, the great high priest. So emerald signifies what? That Jesus is the great high priest. So the, the emerald was placed there for a particular reason. Did you understand it? So when he looks at the throne, he sees the three basic stones: a jasper, cornelian. Then he sees the rainbow, and that looks like a emerald. Did you understand? They all have significance in this. There is nothing in this book that each word has a significance and after that he says around the throne are 24 thrones so around the throne of light around the throne where god the father was seated there are 24 thrones and seated on the thrones are 24 elders so there are 24 god the father imagine is sitting on a throne which is high up and around the throne there are 24 more thrones and seated on the throne are 24 elders who are dressed in white robes with golden crowns on their head. Now who are these 24 elders? Who are these 24 elders? Now these 24 elders that if you take they are taken from the first, the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. From the Old Testament they are the 12 tribes of Israel and from the New Testament they are the 12 Apostles. They are the twelve apostles. Give a big round of applause for Miriam. She told the she was sitting there and telling that answer before even I said. So on the twenty-four thrones were seated twenty-four elders. These elders are twelve from the twelve tribes of Israel and twelve are from the New Testament. So both Old and New Testament are there. And what are they wearing? They're wearing what are they wearing? Yeah, first what are they wearing? They're wearing so what does white signify? That now they are sinless. They are pure. They are completely right. They have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. They have been set free. That white signifies there is nothing impure in them. Thanks. Thank you so much. So that whiteness. So they all have been purchased by the blood of the lamp. And now they are all wearing white. And they have a golden crown also on their head. And the crown signifies the, you know, whenever we do something on earth, we'll be rewarded with a crown, right? That's what we see. Your crown is waiting for you in heaven. Your crown is there for what you do. So you're rewarded with a crown. So these people have reached that place to become an elder and they are gifted with a crown. So the crown is royalty and majesty. It signifies royalty and majesty. And after that, what happens? Coming from the throne are flashes of lightning and rumblings and peal of thunder and in front of the throne burn seven flaming torches which are the seven spirits of God. Did you understand? So from the throne, now he sees the throne and coming from the throne are flashes of lightning and thunder and peals and sound and all those things are coming from the throne. This does not mean a natural disaster is happening. That actually lightning and you know thunder and earthquake is uh, taking place. Whenever God the Father is described, even in the Old Testament, when you see when Moses goes to Mount Sinai, stands at the foot of the Mount Sinai, what does he see? 
they can see you know like the entire place is surrounded by fire there is lightning there is thunder and people go into a total fear they are unable to approach so god the father is represented by all these forces of all this lightning and thunder so that you know people have the keep the distance from god the father it's not so easy to approach god the father god the son is very easily approachable but god the father is totally pure and this 12 24 people who are around him are totally pure that's why they can be there they can be seated there anything impure cannot even go near god the father and from him come all this all this you know this when you whenever you see you see uh, this the huge thunder and lightning is now taking place lately in bangalore and you sometimes you get so scared and you run inside because the sound is like crazy it looks like it has fallen somewhere something has got burnt up and all you know so oh an admiration and kind of a a fear a reverential fear happens when you look down at the throne so that is the impression of the throne he does not describe god the father feature wise but he describes the majesty of god and all these things are coming from the altar and then what does he say and there are seven flaming torches seven torches put on light they are flaming completely on fire and which are the and then he describes what are they which are the seven spirits of god now which are the seven spirits of god i have told them so many times what are the seven spirits of god isaiah 112 doesn't mean that there are seven spirits there is only one holy spirit it has got seven different works spirit of the lord is upon you the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and fear of the lord so if you take all of them it comes down to seven so there are the holy spirit is always represented by the fire so there are flames of fire so have you seen the candlestick in our church during you know special it that uh, which has got seven yeah they have the seven candlesticks in that with on fire so that represents the seven works of the holy spirit which is pray, placed on the altar so that is the meaning of the seven thrones are you get i'm going too fast because last session i went pretty fast i think so most of it went over many people's head so did you understand are you understanding i'm going verse by verse if you have any doubt anything you can always come back to me and in front of the throne there is something like a sea of glass like crystal now this is one scripture that is not explained about in this chapter by john the word sea will come later on in the i think probably chapter 14 and some 16 or 17 the word sea comes but there the sea is described as a sea of people means countless people are standing there and also sea is mentioned that the antichrist will come from the sea antichrist will come from the sea that is the way where the word sea is mentioned but i don't believe what john is describing here is that either the sea of people or a sea from which the antichrist comes what i understand is in front of the throne there is something like a sea of glass like crystal when god created the world what did he said let there be light then there were uh, you know the waters covered the face of the earth and he separated the waters and he made a firmament come in between them okay so the water on top and water below so he separated the waters by a firmament by he completely separated the seas were separated off like that so when you see sea here in the bible it means a huge place which is absolutely crystal clear 
maybe water maybe no water but this is the place which shows the division between god and the rest of the people of the world that you cannot just enter into god's presence there is a sea there's a huge vast area separating you and god and if you have to enter into god's presence you will have to be baptized in that sea of water be purified and then only you can enter into his presence that sea is absolutely crystal clear when do you say crystal clear you know crystal right you know crystal it's completely clear you cannot see anything there's no even not in a part of dirt so that sea if it is a sea of water is absolutely crystal clear it may be probably because this particular scripture is not explained anywhere in the bible but you can assume so my assumption is that it is a vast area of separation between people and god and those who want to cross or bridge the separation have to dip into that sea of crystal clear pure water meaning you get baptized by water believe in the holy spirit and then you come into the presence of god amen did you get it so this is the throne there are this god uh, you can see god the father around it are 24 thrones in which are seated 24 elders and in front of the throne is this uh, you know the torches and there are seven flaming torches representing the seven spirits of god and around the throne are around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures now i spoke about four living creatures when i taught you about spiritual warfare and i spoke to you about the angels i told you there are five divisions of angels the seraphims the cherubims the four living creatures the archangels and the angels so i spoke to you in detail about when i was teaching on angels now the four living creatures i mentioned about the same you know revelations 4 was uh, what is this verse <coughs> i should wear glasses now i think so time i wear glasses right Six or seven, six, verse six. Okay, so uh, Revelation four six is also the four living creatures. I will read it and then explain to you. Then what does he say? And around the throne and on each side of the throne are four living creatures. They have full of eyes in front and behind. So creatures which has eyes, full front and behind. Eyes signifying full front and behind means nothing can escape them. We have eyes in the front. So what happens in the back? We have no knowledge, right? we have to turn to see what is happening in the back but if we have eyes all around us all around north south east west so children cannot escape right they wouldn't want to have a mother who has eyes even in the back but most of the children say my mom has eyes in the back too because she, they always catch them you know if they're doing something in the back also the mother finds out so they say you have eyes in the back but these are living living creatures who have eyes all around not only in the front and the back top bottom side center everywhere there are eyes it actually signifies that they can see everything and the first living creature is like a lion the second living creature an ox the third living creature with the face of a human face with the face like a human face and the fourth living creature like a flying eagle so there are four faces one was the lion then the ox then the human face is a man and the last is an eagle now this could be uh, you know you could explain this in two different ways one is they are uh, the lion is the king of the jungle the best among the animals is the lion okay now the next is an ox the ox is the best among domesticated animals among all the domesticated animals 
the lion is the best now a man is the most superior among all living creatures the last is the eagle is the best among the birds this is one explanation to say that these four living animals have the face of these four creatures signifying the lion the ox the man and a eagle representing that the best in an animal best in a domesticated wild animal domesticated animal a human being and the last is the best in the bird okay now the other better definition of why is represented by these animals is you will understand how jesus is represented in the gospels now how many gospels are there four matthew mark luke and john the way they portrayed jesus how matthew portrayed how mark portrayed how luke portrayed and how john portrayed is what you will see the face representing now when you take the book of matthew the entire genealogy of jesus is there in that and that talks about the king he is the king of kings so matthew portrays him as the king of kings the lion of juda he portrays him as you know the the almighty one the king the supreme one the lion so he is represented by the lion now when you go to the book of mark there is no genealogy in the book of mark there is no genealogy at all in the book of mark mark jesus is portrayed not as a king not as any great person he is portrayed mostly as a servant as someone who has come to serve as someone who has come to do the will of god i have not come to be served but i have come to serve this entire book of mark is talking about the works of jesus christ so when you say the works of a jesus christ you are talking about somebody who is a laborer who is a servant who is working hard and when you see that in an animal which animal is made to work so hard who is made to plow even jesus always describes the ox everywhere you see he is describing the ox he tells you know do not put too much on a burden on the ox or take my yoke upon you yoke is what yoke comes in the ox you know the yoke is put you know it's a long wood piece that is was placed on a yoke on the on a ox so jesus in the book of mark is described as a laborer as a servant as someone who's come to serve and so it is represented by the ox now when you come to the book of which is the third gospel luke in luke the genealogy is there there is the genealogy of christ but this genealogy is not the king of kings and all it is more to talk about jesus the son of the mother of god jesus the son of virgin mary he is described here in the human form born through a human mother there is a human part of him not god but here is the human face of god that's why it is represented by the are you understanding is it easy or is it going beyond you the matthew is represented as a king that is how he described jesus in the entire book of matthew there is a genealogy and he is describing him as a king of or the lion of judah so it's lion now mark there is no genealogy he is more described nowhere as the king but as a serv someone who's come as a servant so the servant among the animals is the ox that's why you have the face of an ox now you go to the book of luke it is more the genealogy is present but it is nothing to do with uh god it is more to do the human nature of god born of a human mother so it is the human face of god it is represented by a face and the last we come to the book of john 
Now, when you come to the book of John, how does the book of John start? I told before. It starts with, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. So there is no genealogy. I am God. The book starts like that. No one is describing how he was born, where he comes from, who is he, which generation, who is David, nothing. The word starts with God. But I am God. And since I am your God, I am, you are under my wings. I protect you. I shield you. I take care of you. I am in front of you. I am surrounding you. You are under my wings of protection. Are you understanding? And which wings of the bird is the biggest wings that we talk about is the eagle. Are you understanding? That's why the last face, the last face is shown of a eagle. Of a eagle. So these are the four ways that God was portrayed in the different gospel. That's why these living creatures who are there have these faces. Do you understand? Okay. And the four living creatures, these four living creatures, each of them with six wings. This is very similar to the seraphims. The four living creatures had, had, you know, they looked somewhat like the seraphim and something like the cherubims. I told you, they're a mix of the seraphims and the cherubims. The mix of the, what they look like from the seraphims is, the seraphim also had six wings. So in that way, they were like the seraphims. And in what way did they look like the cherubims? The cherubims had four faces, the same faces. The same faces I have already described before, so I won't go back to reading that. If you go to the book of Ezekiel, you'll get it. The same faces are there in the book of, of in the cherubims that they had a, uh, face of a lion, ox, a man and an eagle. So all this so the four living creatures are a mix of the seraphim and the cherubims and day and night what did they do? Without ceasing, means without stopping, they sing holy holy, holy, the Lord God the Almighty who was and is and is to come. This is the highest form of worship. This is the highest form of heavenly worship. That throughout this no time zone, no time limit, these four living creatures who are standing in front of God the Father are continuously singing, Holy, 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 the Lord God the Almighty who was, who is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever. You understood this. I don't need to explain. Whenever they are giving thanks and these living creatures are giving glory and honor and thanks to the one who is seated on the throne is God the Father, what happens in verse 10? The 24 elders fall before the one who lives forever and ever. That is God the Father. And they cast their crowns before the throne. So when they are singing this, it is not like, okay, 8 o'clock in the morning, like you blow a whistle or something like that. Okay, 8 o'clock, we'll start holy, holy, holy and all that and all of them will fall down and bow. Okay, next session is, next time is at 9 o'clock. The next session is at 10 o'clock. It doesn't happen like that. It's a continuous process that does not stop in heaven in front of God the Father. The four living creatures are only called to do this, to continue praising God. And when they continue praising God, the 24 elders, what they do? They bow down and they cast their crown. What do you mean by cast? They don't take it and place it. They literally throw it down. What do you mean by throwing it down? It signifies that we are nothing 
before your majesty i am throwing the crown that you place me the little crowns that we get on heaven no the little oh, sorry on earth the little recognition we get on earth a promotion a, you know an, a name like suppose a doctor or a phd or whatever you are called as that i am an engineer i am a lawyer i am this or that whatever you get we take it so we are you know so proud about it and we display it like the medals like you know the army or the navy people they display their medals and that crown has got so much of significance and these 24 elders are not simple people they have been given the, the authority to sit in the crown next to god the father they themselves are on such high levels but in front of god the father they throw their crowns down saying we are nothing before your majesty that is the heart of a true worshipper you understanding now what is worship when you come before god with your nothingness you don't come before him and say i am so and so great i have done this great thing i am you know in your kingdom i preached your gospel i stand and i sing and i praise i lead people into the holy of holies you are nothing you come to him in your nothingness you throw away your crowns at his feet that is the heart of a true worshipper heavenly worship is what you learn in this chapter this chapter is also rightly named heavenly worship you read that it is written what is it written it is the heavenly worship so this is what happens in the throne room of god and when they cast their crowns before their god they are singing they are singing what you are worthy our lord and god to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created so they are saying before god that we are nothing you are everything that is the heart of a true worship and this is the peak or the look into the heavenly kingdom or what the throne room of god is and the next chapter also chapter 5 is also to do with the heavenly kingdom and after that comes a tribulation chapter 6 onwards the tribulation starts so you know god is not suddenly showing john everything others he would have freaked out he would have fainted or died over there he literally died the first time when he saw god so god had to revive him give resuscitation wake up wake up wake up john don't lose heart don't die down here so the same way god is slowly taking him first he showed him the earth now he is showing him the heavenly places and now when he is comfortable in the heavenly places now he will show him what tribulation is all about from chapter 6 onwards so did you understand did you understand did it make it easy for you to understand i know sister <laughs> sister alice has been reading the book so she is getting greater so the more and more you you know maybe first time it's maybe a little difficult because always book of revelation each word each you know every and and after and this and all has a great significance in this book every every gem every stone every but every amen every word is significant in this book so when you understand this in a proper way will you be able to understand the book of revelation praise god